Welcome to today's episode of the Gone Fission Nuclear Report. This podcast is your one-stop source for all the latest news in the Department of Energy's Environmental Management Program across the nation. Now with today's report, here is your host, Michael Butler. Thank you, Jennifer, and hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Gone Fission Nuclear Report. Today is Monday, April 4th, 2022. We're covering all the news from the Department of Energy's Environmental Management Program across the country. It's Masters Week at the Augusta National Golf Course. Phil Mickelson is missing his first Masters in years, and we're waiting to see if this week will be a comeback for Tiger Woods. The players have arrived in Augusta and are on the practice tees getting ready for the tournament to begin. Hey Mike, you may ask, what does any of that have to do with DOE environmental management? Well, I want to assure you that there is a connection. If you want to do business with anyone at the Savannah River site this week, good luck. Every year, the first full week in April, also known as Master's Week, is an unofficial holiday. All eyes are on the Masters. Thoughts turn to the Amen Corner and the legendary ham and cheese sandwiches in the food tents. Shoppers are in the gift shop loading up on items with the best-known logo in all of golf. Lucky ticket holders are roaming the course, soaking up the rich tradition. And, if you look closely, you'll even find some SRS employees on the course in hard hats working security helping to manage the crowd at the world's most prestigious golf event. I have a long-standing relationship with Aiken and Augusta and the Savannah River site, dating back to the 1970s. I was an Atomic Energy Commission public information officer and later founder of Citizens for Nuclear Technology Awareness, a citizens-based nuclear education group serving as the group's executive director for the first decade of its existence. I also helped create the annual Edward Teller Lecture in 1992, which this year celebrates its 30th anniversary. I know not to plan anything for the first week in April. It is sacred. Everyone has blocked off their calendar, either to attend the Masters or to rent out their house and get out of town. If you hold a meeting it's likely no one will show up. So happy Masters Week, SRS. A few weeks ago, hundreds of attendees gathered at Waste Management 2022 in Phoenix to talk about the latest industry issues, particularly those related to environmental cleanup at DOE sites. Leading the discussion was EM Senior Advisor Ike White, who launched the conference with a status report on environmental cleanup milestones and the challenges that lie ahead. He provided a capsule description of what facilities across the DOE complex faced when the EM program began 33 years ago. The production of more than 1,000 metric tons of uranium, more than 100 metric tons of plutonium, resulted in contamination at 107 sites across 35 states, covering an area equal to the combined size of Delaware and Rhode Island. 
Just think about that for a second in terms of the complexity of the challenge that we started with. The contamination that we were dealing with included more than 90 million gallons of liquid radioactive waste, more than 700,000 tons of depleted uranium, more than 5,000 contaminated facilities, millions of cubic meters of contaminated soil, and billions of gallons of contaminated groundwater. At the start, the scope of the environmental legacy of the Manhattan Project and the Cold War was just beginning to come into view. Over the 33-year history of the cleanup program, our focus has evolved from figuring out what kinds of waste we had and how much we had and where it was to developing the technology and designing the tools and building the capabilities and the infrastructure that we need to be able to address it. We'll have more from Ike's informative discussion at Waste Management 2022 later in the podcast. Don't go away. We'll be right back with today's top story. Want to know more about the Gone Fission Nuclear Report podcast? Want to hear past episodes featuring topics of interest in the Department of Energy Environmental Management program? Then you need to visit our website at gonefissionpodcast.com. Make comments or ask questions about podcast episodes. Weigh in with your thoughts and opinions. Suggest a topic for a future podcast interview. We want to hear from you. Visit gonefissionpodcast.com today. That's gonefissionpodcast.com. Now here with today's top story is Michael Butler. EM has requested $7.64 billion in the FY23 federal budget for continued cleanup of DOE sites around the country. These sites are located in communities that historically supported or continue to support weapons programs and government-sponsored research. The EM budget request represents about 15% of DOE's overall request, totaling $48.2 billion. DOE said the EM budget request prioritizes and reduces risk by addressing the challenges of treating radioactive waste stored in underground tanks, demolition of excess buildings, remediation of soil and groundwater, safe management and disposal of waste, and advancing efforts to close out cleanup sites. In addition to a long list of specific cleanup priorities at multiple sites, the budget also supports efforts to build a diverse and inclusive next-generation workforce. This will be done in part through EM's Minority Serving Institutions Program in cooperation with historically black colleges and universities. Funds would also be allocated to the Community Capacity Building Program designed to help disadvantaged communities adjacent to EM sites where there is a significant portion of the population below the poverty level. Officials from EM and the state of Idaho convened at the Idaho National Laboratory last week to mark the completion of a high-profile cleanup milestone. Work crews completed retrieval of buried waste from more than five and a half acres at the lab's radioactive waste management complex. The task was completed more than 18 months ahead of schedule as part of the accelerated retrieval project. EM Senior Advisor Ike White joined Idaho Governor Brad Little and Attorney General Lawrence Wasden in thanking the workforce for its safe performance and dedication to the mission. 
The waste removal project will protect the underlying Snake River Plain aquifer. Work is always underway to enhance worker safety at EM cleanup sites. Recently, a new radiological inspection technology has been demonstrated at the Savannah River National Laboratory. It's called IGART, short for Integrated Ground-Based Autonomous Agent for Radiological Tracking. It was developed by New Horizon Technologies under a Small Business Innovation Research Grant. The system integrates a commercial off-the-shelf four-wheel mobile platform with radiation detectors and 3D vision sensors. Working autonomously or by remote control, the robot detects radiological contamination and can be used in indoor or outdoor settings. When it comes to clean energy, EM is practicing what it preaches. The waste isolation pilot plant is moving to low emission and battery electric vehicles in its underground repository. This will improve air quality and the efficiency of operations. WIP currently has 38 gas vehicles in its fleet. Nine are being replaced by four EV vehicles this year and five more joining the fleet next year. I suppose it's fitting for Las Vegas, but the folks at the National Nuclear Security Site in the Nevada desert love their wildlife. Lately, biologists have been studying juvenile western burrowing owls at the site. They are the only species of owls in North America that live in burrows. Being in the hot desert, they regularly retreat to these burrows to cool off, and in the winter, the burrow provides a place of warmth. An interesting fact, juvenile western burrowing owls make a sound that mimics a rattlesnake to scare predators away from their burrows. It would definitely work on me. You're up to date on the latest DOE environmental management news. Now it's time for this week's Spotlight interview featuring a special guest. Here again is Michael Butler. Since COVID restrictions have relaxed somewhat in the past few weeks, EM Senior Advisor Ike White has taken to the skies to visit EM sites around the country and participate in other key meetings. One stop he made recently was at Waste Management Symposium 2022 in Phoenix. This is the largest international waste management convention in the world, attracting over 2,000 delegates annually from around the globe. Ike was the kickoff speaker for the conference and gave attendees an overview of the EM program and a candid assessment of where things are headed over the next decade. Gone Fishing obtained a recording of his remarks, and we want to share some of what he had to say in today's episode. For those of you who are unable to attend Waste Management 2022, or even if you were there, I think you'll find Ike's remarks enlightening as he unveils EM's aggressive posture in advancing cleanup work around the complex. We start with his description of the magnitude of the challenge. The production of more than a thousand metric tons of uranium, more than a hundred metric tons of plutonium, resulted in contamination at 107 sites across 35 states 
covering an area equal to the combined size of Delaware and Rhode Island. Just think about that for a second in terms of the complexity of the challenge that we started with. The contamination that we were dealing with included more than 90 million gallons of liquid radioactive waste, more than 700,000 tons of depleted uranium, more than 5,000 contaminated facilities, millions of cubic meters of contaminated soil, and billions of gallons of contaminated groundwater. At the start, the scope of the environmental legacy of the Manhattan Project and the Cold War was just beginning to come into view. Over the 33-year history of the cleanup program, our focus has evolved from figuring out what kinds of waste we had and how much we had and where it was to developing the technology and designing the tools and building the capabilities and the infrastructure that we need to be able to address it. That's included some learning along the way. It's included some early successes and it's included some setbacks. Now, we're close to being able to focus on steady and sustained performance to get the remaining E emission done and fulfill our obligations to the communities that have played such an important role in U.S. history. Getting to this point has taken perseverance, ingenuity, and teamwork from everyone here. These are the same qualities that I hope will lead many of you here to consider a future in EM if you're not already part of our cleanup enterprise. Ike also discussed what communities around DOE cleanup sites could expect to see in the next 10 years. But in the next 10 years, we can begin tank waste vitrification at Hanford. We'll complete the disposition of the remaining uranium-233 inventory at Oak Ridge. We'll complete tank waste treatment at Idaho. We'll complete salt waste processing and legacy transuranic waste disposition at Savannah River. And legacy cleanup at sites like Nevada and Moab will be done. In addition to looking ahead to future goals, Ike also looked back on the program's significant accomplishments over the past few years. While we also need to address the challenges in the cleanup complex, we shouldn't lose sight of what EM has been able to accomplish to date. We're on the cusp of an actual step change in how we're tackling one of our largest environmental and financial challenges, tank waste. At Hanford, we've begun treating tank waste at an industrial scale through Tisker for ventral vitrification. How long have many of you here waited to hear at this conference that DOE has actually started treating tank waste at Hanford? Had the opportunity myself just a few weeks ago to travel out to Hanford and see the Tisker activity operation firsthand during a visit there. It really brought home just how close we are at that site to being able to start the actual vitrification of waste through the direct feed low activity waste approach. I'm as excited to say these words as many of you involved in that activity are to hear them. And at Savannah River, with the salt waste processing facility in operation, we now have the site's entire treatment system up and running to be able to handle the liquid waste challenges there. Just a few weeks ago, I was able to show Secretary Granholm the progress we're making at Savannah River in tackling tank waste on her visit to the site. And at Savannah River, we have an in-state contract structure in place for the liquid waste program that lets us focus the companies there on doing the work in emptying and closing the remaining tanks at the site. At Idaho, we're in the final stages of preparing IWTU for operation. We anticipate actual waste processing at Idaho by the end of the year. It's another accomplishment that has been long in the making that I know many of you here have been involved in at one point or the other over the course of the past decade. In addition to the transformational progress that we're seeing across the tank waste mission, we're also continuing to draw down the remaining inventories of legacy transuranic waste at Los Alamos and other sites across the country. And we're moving forward with infrastructure upgrades, as John mentioned, at WIP, that are key to all of DOE's nuclear missions across the country. 
There's perhaps no more visible sign, though, in the cleanup program than being able to tear down aging and contaminated facilities. The skylines at sites like Oak Ridge and Portsmouth and West Valley and ETEC, all of them look vastly different today than they did just a couple of years ago, thanks to the progress we made on D&D and thanks to all of you here who've been involved in those activities. He talked about the importance of developing the future workforce. We also need the energy, the enthusiasm, and the new ideas that the students and the early career professionals who are here this week bring to the program when they replace those of us who will be retiring in the future. We'll need you not only to help tackle the remaining hurdles, but also help ensure that we remain successful for decades to come in the cleanup program. I hope the importance of our mission and the world-class challenges we face and the opportunity to help communities who've contributed so much to our national security ignites your passion and enthusiasm just as it has for those of us who work in the program today. The EM workforce of the future will require an increased focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. These principles must be fundamental to how we do all of our work because they enable every aspect of our mission and our ability to accomplish our goals in the future. These efforts often start at the local level, in communities and in classrooms. I had a chance to see that firsthand last month when I visited the administrators, teachers, and students at the Santa Fe Indian School during my visit to Los Alamos. The school has developed an impressive STEM-focused curriculum that is fully integrated with the community and the cultural traditions of the area, and in doing so, they're developing the engineers, the scientists, and the leaders of tomorrow. Ike promised the communities around DOE sites that DOE would live up to its obligations to the communities, including those involving environmental justice. As Secretary Granholm mentioned in her remarks, it's ultimately about addressing the obligations we have to the communities that played such an important role in the development and security of this country. Under the Secretary's leadership, we're working to help ensure these communities, from Washington to New York, have a vibrant future. It's this fundamental aspect of the cleanup program that I think aligns with the focus of the administration on environmental justice. And we're very excited that Los Alamos has been chosen as one of DOE's pilot projects for the Justice 40 initiative. This is a concept that seeks to ensure we're delivering at least 40% of the benefits from federal investments in climate and clean energy to traditionally underserved communities. A key component of our environmental justice efforts at Los Alamos and other sites will be enhanced stakeholder engagement. And you'll see that rolling out from us at Los Alamos over the course of the next couple of months. Our sites are fortunate to be surrounded by diverse communities and tribal nations who are very strong partners in advancing cleanup and planning for the future. We depend on many of you participating here this week to ensure a broad range of voices are heard as we move forward in a collaborative manner with an eye towards the future. And that alignment is important. In the three years that I've been part of the cleanup program, one thing has stood out to me in terms of a key to being successful. It's no accident that the areas where we've seen the greatest progress across the cleanup program are the same areas where we've also had the best alignment between EM, our state regulators, the affected communities and tribal nations in the program moving forward. Closing his review of recent accomplishments, Ike talked about contracting, highlighted upcoming site achievements, and discussed some of the hurdles that lie ahead. And last, but I know it's not least to many of you, we're also well down the road of instituting the in-state contract model throughout the cleanup complex so that our sites are positioned for better progress and success going forward. Building on these accomplishments, we've outlined an equally impressive set of priorities for this year, and hopefully you've had a chance to take a look at those. 
They include completing coal commissioning at the first WTP melter at Hanford, another step forward for initiating the direct feed low activity waste approach. Completing buried waste remediation at Idaho. In fact, I look forward myself to celebrating this significant accomplishment when I visit the site in just a few weeks. Completing at least 30 shipments of transuranic waste from Los Alamos to WIP. Completing the demolition of the first of the three former uranium enrichment buildings at Portsmouth. Beginning construction work on the important advanced manufacturing collaborative that's so critical to the future of Savannah River National Laboratory. Beginning the demolition of West Valley's main plant process building, the last of the major facilities at that site. And awarding the new Hanford Integrated Tank Disposition Contract, the largest contract that EM has ever competed. I believe that what our team has accomplished over the past couple of years during the pandemic and what we're on track to do this year is truly remarkable. As individual milestones, these things are all impressive. But collectively, they are also important. And they're even more impressive because of how they position the cleanup program for the future. EM is now in a position to start clearing the decks, so to speak, and tackling the remaining major hurdles to sustain success. And I'll let me talk about these remaining hurdles for just a second. First, developing a realistic and achievable approach for addressing the high-level tank waste at Hanford. An approach that builds on what we learn through DF law and utilizes the best methods we have available to ramp up our tank waste mission and manage the long-term risk to the community. Defining the path forward for key sites like Savannah River so that they remain integral to DOE's national security missions and scientific research missions in the decades to come. Strengthening, and in some cases, rebuilding the relationships with our regulators and other stakeholders in key states from across EM to gain the alignment we need that will enable our collective future success. And none of this will happen without the right people building a high-quality, diverse workforce that benefits from a wide range of backgrounds and experiences to continue this mission long after most of us in this room have retired. And these aren't going to be easy things to do. That last one in particular will be challenging because we're seeing right now one of the most competitive hiring environments that I have seen in the past few decades. But if they were easy, you all would have done them already. But one thing is certain, we're going to need the help of everyone here to make those things happen. We'll need the workforce at our EM sites, both the federal workforce and the contractor workforce, to continue to demonstrate the dedication and the drive that have helped us reach this point in our mission. We'll need the experience and the expertise of the companies participating here this week, both large businesses and small. We'll need input and support from the communities, tribal nations, state regulators who have equity in the outcomes of our cleanup program across the country. And we'll need to leverage the successes and challenges that our international partners, like the UK, have experienced. As a matter of fact, um, as been noted earlier, this year's featured country is the United Kingdom, and EM has had a very long and fruitful relationship with the UK, stretching all the way back to the start of the UK's cleanup program and the launch of the NDA. I personally had the chance to visit the UK sites, like Sellafield, to see firsthand their approaches to tackling the unique challenges that they face, and I look forward to being able to continue that relationship to the mutual benefit of both of our country's cleanup programs when David and I sign an extension of our, our cooperation agreement later. And finally, Ike discussed the impact of the COVID pandemic and the outlook for success that lies ahead. The past two years have overlaid the challenges of operating in a pandemic environment with the already extraordinary effort needed to be successful with the world's largest environmental cleanup program. 
Thanks to many of you who are here this week, the EM mission hasn't just survived over the past couple of years, it's thrived. We've accomplished a lot together. We've positioned EM to be ready for the next era of sustained progress. And with that sustained progress, we'll be able to begin a dialogue one day about what the end of this mission truly looks like. As we look ahead, though, we have every reason to be excited about the future and the opportunities that it holds for everyone. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Gone Fission Nuclear Report podcast. Join us next week for more news about DOE's environmental management program across the nation. To comment on this episode, hear past episodes, or suggest a future interview guest, visit us at gonefissionpodcast.com. You'll also find links to topics of interest covered in this podcast. Visit gonefissionpodcast.com.